Hi filmmakers, Jason Brubaker with Film Making Stuff where we show you how to make, market, and sell your movie without the middleman. Today I'm talking to a producer named Ron Newcomb. Um, Ron's based back in the East Coast of the United States. He's made quite a few feature films, and we're going to talk to him today about, you know, exactly what it is that he does, how he does it, and what kinds of tips he can share with you. Hey, Ron, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I appreciate you having me on for sure. Yeah, my pleasure. So I, you know, I've been taking a look at your credits, and and I've been tracking you for a while just to see what kinds of stuff you're doing, and, and it looks like you're keeping yourself busy. Uh, how do you find time to have a life? Yeah, you know, that's kind of the day in the life of the independent filmmaker. You don't always have the luxury to work full-time in the filmmaking business, so you kind of have to have your 9-to-5 and then your family life as well, and then your film life, uh, which is certainly the case for me right now. So, yeah, it's, it's busy. You you have a lot of diversity, and one of the things that I like about all the different movies that you're making is you'll, you'll flip. Um, you, you do some narrative features, and then you go back and you do some documentaries and all that kind of stuff. Um, is, is there a particular genre that you focus on, or, or how do you determine what movies you work on? You know, at the time, it was always where the traction we were getting the most at. I just moved into that space. Uh, but certainly, you know, as, as a filmmaker, it's where the story really captures me. But right now, I'm trying to develop a little bit of a brand for myself, and it's really trying to live in the narrative feature space in the area of fantasy or what I like to call uh, sword and shield programming. So anything that, that has a sword and a shield in it, that's what I want to uh, go play in. Is that because you're a nerd at heart? You got it. That is exactly right. Um, I always, you know, grew up playing role-playing games. That was really the first kind of um, intro into story and the thought of story and, and just the, the powerfulness that story creates. And, and yeah, so, you know, it kind of, I guess, goes back to my youth. It's also where I identify with, and maybe deep down I secretly want to be a, a warrior at, at heart. Well, let's talk a little bit about a movie that you have out in the market right now that's gaining significant buzz called uh, Rise of the Fellowship. Can, can you tell us yeah. a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, a full-length feature film that you can find it uh, in, in Walmart and Netflix and Amazon and all the ancillary places you, you go to. And um, it, it was uh, a blast to make. It's actually been a long journey, like most independent filmmakers, from the moment I said, hey, I want to do a film, to now it's been uh, seven years. So, it, you wow. know, that yeah. in and of itself is a is a journey. And, and unfortunately, you know, I kind of find that is typical with most independent filmmakers. It's right around five to seven years, the overnight success story type of thing. Um, but the, the story is about these four online gamers that uh, go on an adventure to be declared the ultimate championship gamers of a video game called Lord of the Rings Online. And we got permission to use that game in the film. That's kind of our A-list talent. And it's opened some doors up. So we obviously released around The Hobbit and, and so forth. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a blast. We did get a distribution deal as well as a sales agent. So we kind of went a little bit more the traditional route. But I was ready to kind of deploy my do-it-yourself uh, principles. And certainly I, I follow a big mantra and, and, and 100% agreement with what you uh, say often, and that is develop your customer base, develop your fan base, primarily through trying to capture emails. So still trying to work on that. Man, that is a never-ending process of, of trying to market yourself out there. 
Well, I, I definitely agree with you, but I, I think there's some tenets of, of some of the stuff that, you know, that I evangelize quite a lot that you have utilized uh, to your success. And one of them is yeah. you, you focused on a movie that had a, a definitive target audience. Um, these are people that you could reach out to. Was that always part of the plan or were you, did you come up with the idea because you just simply liked the subject matter? You know, I, I'm a, I'm kind of a, a it's a fan uh, base for fans. I'm a fan of that genre. I'm a fan of that, that IP. I'm a huge Lord of the Ring geek and went to New Zealand before the Hobbit tours were around. And um, so I'm definitely <laughs> from that base, but certainly, like you said, I mean, it was very appealing that we could easily identify the customer. We knew exactly who they were, where that they hung out, um, primarily because I, <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah. Um, but it was easy to define. And I think you're right early on trying to go for, well, I'm going to make a mainstream media film and, and just try to get out there. It, it was much easier to identify a specific target group and then go after them. Um, you know, just with everything that we had, which is of course, as an indie, uh, limited, <laughs> you know, our, our resources. So. Well, absolutely. And, and can you talk about that a little bit more? I mean, seven years, that's a long time to really, uh, sink some yeah. passion into a movie. You know, I've heard the saying recently that often the person that begins the journey is a lot different than the guy who, who you know, gets to the destination. And uh, did you go through a lot of growing or, or tell us a little bit about how, how you evolved as a filmmaker? And a yeah, person. you know, certainly, yeah, sometimes you don't want to have to go through those challenges, you know, yeah. uh, those adversities. Uh, but I kind of like to say that a film will fight you every step of the way. It resists you every, you know, turn and, and, and just will, doesn't want to be brought into this world. And you as a, as a producer are responsible to, to bring it forth, even sometimes with, with just, you know, brute determination that you're going to make it happen. And certainly we had our own, uphill struggles that we had to fight. Um, it, you know, we were right at the start of the, the real true start of the uh, digital acceptance uh, time frame where the red camera was really on board and people were liking what they were seeing, but they weren't 100% on board yet. We had a post-production house uh, because there were so many they're paying for brick and mortar. They're trying to stick around. They went out of business on us, so that took us back six months. Oh, my gosh. Um, we had another post-production facility house that we were going to get some CGI and coloring done. Uh, they ultimately couldn't do the work and we had paid them a significant amount of money and they weren't able to give that money back, nor had they done any work on, on the project. So that was another six months plus money. And, you know, those things, those are just a few little items that, that we had. I mean, even during production of certainly we had things from like locations bailing out on us at the last minute. Um, and you know, you're struggling to, to turn around and, and try to find a, another location. Uh, you know, I think every independent filmmaker has stories like that. And certainly we do as well. Um, did, did you happen to cry on set at all? <laughs> you know, I was, I was, uh, I was very close. You know, it, I'll tell you this though. As a filmmaker, during production, when you get to go play filmmaker, I've never felt more energized. And I remember seeing the images for the first time, just in raw footage coming back on the red. It looked so epic. I just, you know, had that, those butterflies in my stomach. It was so surreal and such a cool feeling to actually see 
the idea that you thought of being laid down on, on screen was, was really cool to see. So certainly I was emotionally invested in no doubt about it. Well, let's take a step back. So seven years. So, um, you, you got together with some writers and hashed out the idea. How, how did the development stage go? Um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, development is always an interesting thing. You know, I knew I wasn't the best writer. I just was honest with myself. I've been trained to be a writer. I just knew I wasn't a great one. And in, you know, an independent uh, film, you, you have to find great stories. I mean, that's even true with studios. You, you got to find a great story. So I was lucky enough to partner with two fantastic writers, Scott Mathias and Christopher Bunn, who are writing partners. And I just tapped into those guys. I had the base skeleton idea and I pitched it to them. And we had Scott and I had written for about six, seven months trying to get the first draft done. And then we pulled Christopher in to really help sweeten it. And so it was uh, a long process for development be because we also then created a very strong and stellar business plan. And for a lot of the listeners outside of the L.A. area, uh, they'll probably appreciate you're having to educate your potential investor. You know, they don't understand investments in film. They actually, a couple of them laughed at me and said, you're in the wrong spot. You need to be pitching this out in L.A. You know, <laughs> this, it, you know it, it, was, it wasn't. A, a sympathy investment. I was I was talking about a true, sincere investment. So I spent a lot of time on the business plan and trying to crunch numbers and make those right. And I can appreciate any filmmaker out there going through that right now. And we all know how much of a challenge that is. And 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 yet there I was, you know, having to, to go forth with it. So not only are you developing the story, but then you're also developing the plan of attack on on how you're going to execute that all the way down to, you know, how much you're going to spend on food and so forth. So uh, development is, is, is a challenge, but it's also where you, is the first time you start to see, holy cow, I think I can do this. This is possible. And it's that spark of excitement is where it also begins as well. And that, that's a really cool thing is your ideas birthed in that development stage, really. What were some of the biggest obstacles that, that the investors brought to your attention that you had to overcome? You know, again, we, we went at a time where the economy really started to go south. And so at first, we had this pretty big grand budget of what we're going to bring in. And I had some fills and uh, friends in the industry that were like, oh, man, you'll be able to raise that. No problem. You know, uh, it's a million dollar feature. That, that's no big deal. And the, the, back Ron, in 2000, that, that was your budget. It was a, it was a million dollars. That's what you were going for. That's what I was going for originally. Yeah. And, and people were telling me, you know, Oh, that's, that's nothing. You know, they'll, you'll easily be able to a find it. And then that's, wow, you'll barely be able to do a, a movie for that amount. Now this was back in 2007, 2008 timeframe. So obviously, you know, things have changed significantly, but just look how fast they've changed now man, if I had a million dollars now, I'd turn out an epic like studio looking film uh, nowadays. But that was some of the things that the investors, they they weren't fully sure that we could do it for the amount that we said we could do it for. And then of course, certainly you're trying to um, go over hurdles of we didn't have any past experience. And so what we did was we partnered with a really great board of advisors to say, hey, yeah, you're right, we don't have this huge, grandiose experience, but we have these guys on the team that are going to fill the gap for us all the way through to distribution, because that's another huge question 
that investors want to know is, you know, how are you going to get it out there? But almost every investor immediately turned right to the financials. And it wasn't until I could get past the financial considerations that they even cared about the story. They always turned to, to the financials first. So these were pragmatic, um, seasoned business professionals that knew what they were looking for. It was either invest in your right. movie or invest in a piece of real estate, for example. That's exactly right. And out here, I live in the uh, Washington, D.C. metro area, and real estate is certainly one of them. And, and IT is another one. So they, they understood that world. They understood the investment world. The film world was the big X factor. So trying to justify and explain those numbers, they needed to be solid first on that footing before they ever cared about what story I had. And what was, um, how did you go about finding these investors and, and how many people did you have to contact before you got traction? Man, and you know, that is, that is like not a question. It's like the question. And isn't it, isn't it, you know, for us is, is financing. It, it's, it's such a huge monumental thing. You know, first, certainly I went to my inner circle and w would write down and try to identify people that I might know who may know other people. Uh, you know, money knows money. White collar people tend to travel in white collar circles, I, I like to say. And, and so I was trying to find and tap into those channels where I could get introduced into people uh, that have funding. Uh, but certainly vetting those people is another hard challenge of finding out could they really write the check because some people just – you know, want that ego and they want you to pitch them. And even though, you know, at the end of the day, they may come in for a significantly much smaller amount than you anticipated. But I first started with, with, you know, family, friends and fools, they like to say. So it was my inner circle. And then I worked out and I would never leave a pitch without asking, you know, is there anybody else I could be or should be talking to that you might be willing to make an introduction? Because a cold call or something like that is just, not the way it's going to work. Business is usually done because someone likes you. There's some type of personal connection that they've made. So to get handed off through a phone call or an email was a great way to get that. And uh, certainly the first money in is always a challenge. And once you get that, you can then kind of point back and say, see, I'm, I'm looking for this amount of money, but we already have, you know, 10% funded at this point. And people start to see, okay, wow, this guy is actually going to, you know, might be able to get it down the line. And as you raise that percentage, more people are, are much more willing to, to come on board. The risk factor starts to drop a little bit. So, so when, once you had the money and you, and you got that secured, uh, what was the next step? You guys went into production or what happened after that? Yeah, yeah. Once we had the, not even all the funding, you know, I was going to do it. I, I knew I, we were going to be able to, to do it. I just, you know, kind of a, a hard thing, I guess. And I started to move already in pre-production when we were about halfway through funding and then started to, um, you know, pick out locations and start to put some things potentially on the, on a calendar. But once we did have the funding immediately, I, I went into true pre-production. Like we went out and spoke to those locations once again and confirmed those. And if we needed to put money down, we, we started to, um, the, the immediate thing we had to do, of course, was getting the, uh, the budget confirmed, uh, because, you know, the budget that you have in your business plan, it's only speculative until you can confirm that once on the day of like filming, you literally call them up and say, Hey, is that price still hold? Are we still true to that type of thing? So I started to pull in my leadership or management 
team that was going to be on my crew. So certainly my, my DP, I, I set out to get my director of photography pretty immediate. Um, I needed a location scout to come on board pretty fast. I needed to get my casting director to come on board quickly. So I started to find those key strategic leadership positions that I was going to work closely with on my team. And I started to bring them on board. Um, another significant thing that we did was, you know, independent films are known for having bad sound. So I wanted that not to be us. And I spent more money on sound than anything else. And we have 5.1 Dolby Digital Surround Sound. It sounds amazing. People always compliment on the great score we have and the great sound design uh, by Studio Unknown here, which is out of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, it, you know, that is what I, I went after. And so I hired a very seasoned on-set sound recordist who came on board early on, um, and, and I scooped him up rather quickly. So getting that management team really helped me so that they then could say, okay, here's who I'm going to bring on my team. And so they brought on, like the DP, of course, brought on the gaffer and the first AC and things. Um, you know, I, I don't micromanage. I bring in the, the, the guys and gals that can make it happen, and then just my job is to support them. You know, what do they need for me to, to make this happen? Let's Let's get this vision on, so... Did you act as your own line producer, or did you hire somebody to handle that? Um, I did not. However, it, it was brought in-house. We yes. had thought about trying to do it, um, getting a line producer, but my business partner, Scott Mathias, the writer, um, that was his primary job during um, pre-production and, and production and, and some even post, trying to wrap up some financing things. So Scott really had to learn and undertake what that meant to line produce. So... Um, you know, of course, is, and that's a challenge. You know? yeah. Line producing, is, it's, it's huge, and it's a, a monumental task, especially when he's also just, you know, a regular producer that he's trying to ensure all these little things don't fall through the cracks. So a lot of stress on Scott. He didn't get to have as much fun as I did during production. <laughs> he, he was the one stressed out. Did you have a first assistant director, or did you guys handle that one as well? Um, we did, but it, you know, again, on indies, it, it's not as uh, union based or, or 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 like at, at the pro or studio level. You're you're almost you have someone who may have done it one or two times, or they have some understanding of what uh, a first uh, AD does. Um, but I was fortunate enough to where I have uh, out of the DC area, we have a lot of documentaries going on. So mm -hmm. I had uh, another young guy. It was a, it was a pretty young team all around come on board. He wanted to, you know, be a part of a feature, wanted to first AD. He had done some first AD work on shorts and stuff. And I had worked with him before. He's a real go-getter, really sharp, and he can keep you on schedule and do it with a smile so that he was fantastic. That's perfect. You know, one of the things that I find so interesting about you as a professional filmmaker and, and for all the listeners uh, of filmmaking stuff is, is the fact that you don't live in Hollywood. And I think a lot of people sometimes yeah. get the idea that they got to move to Los Angeles to make things happen. And that was certainly my thought process. That's one of the reasons I'm out here in L.A. But now with technology, both on the production side and the distribution side, you really can make movies anywhere. And you seem to, to prove that. 
Yeah, you know, I, I actually did move to L.A. Uh, back in the day. I wanted to be an actor. It's when I was 24. I moved to Pasadena, California, and, and tried to make my go at it. When I knew that wasn't going to happen for me, I kind of came back and said, well, there goes my filmmaking career, and thought it was over. Until the digital age, a friend of mine, Jim Clock, did a full-length feature film digitally, and it just blew my mind. Like, wow, man, we can do it, and we're not in L.A. There's certain things that, you know, you guys in L.A. have – that are that are advantageous you know everybody out there is pretty much a filmmaker you can find crew and people to jump in pretty quickly but out here it, it's it's also filmmaking there's some type of cool factor about it mm -hmm. when people here say wow man you're doing a film there's a some excitement about it and almost every university and college out there has some type of film department or school program now so there's a lot of people that are coming out of school that are going to LA that are very well educated and equipped now that are jumping in and helping I'm amazed about the caliber caliber of people um, that are not in LA uh, that are, are doing films so so yeah I, I'm, I'm my family is here I figure you know what I'm going to stay where I'm at because here I'm, I'm not just one amongst other filmmakers. I am a filmmaker, you know, here and, and that's what I identify with. So yeah, there is something fun about not being in LA. So after you guys uh, were able to produce the movie and you, and you got it in, in post-production, um, what was the next step? Did you go out into the festival circuit? You know, that, that's always a, a great question that, that you kind of have to work through is, uh, you know, are we going to try to go straight to distribution or are we going to try to go to festival round and see if we can garner some, some interest and so forth? But at the end of the day, you know, there's a ton of festivals out there. You can rack up a ton of money going to festivals. There's huge expenses, especially if you go there and travel there and so forth. And many times festivals don't have the people you want there or you're expecting to be there, like agents or distributors. Um, you know, so the, some of the best festivals have markets attached to them. Mm -hmm. We did go to the American film market one year, and that is where we were introduced into our, our sales agent. And so I knew I wanted to go after distribution, and that's what I set out to do. We did apply for a few festivals, and we were fortunate enough to get into a few. And, in fact, we won Best Feature Film at the Gen Con Film Festival, which is a huge gaming convention of, you know, 45,000 people. And we ended up winning Best Feature Film there. So we're very proud to have that, you know, to be an alumnus of those guys. You know, however, my goal was to get distribution. And that's what we sought after, a domestic distributor and then an international sales agent. So that's what we did. And what kind of advice do you have for filmmakers that are out there and, and they want to do what you've done? I mean, do you have any... Um, I guess let's focus on dis distribution first and then maybe some other tidbits of advice that you picked up along the way. You know, distribution is, uh, is so much changing right now. You know, if it, 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 it's so difficult to figure out exactly what's going to happen next with streaming and so forth and how that all happens and how it breaks down. One of the biggest things I can offer is try to keep your budget to a reasonable sense and a manageable sense. You don't want it to get so out of control that your break-even is so high that you have to sell so many units or so many downloads that, you know, just to break-even um, is a monumental task. So, you know, that's certainly a, a sense of advice. Um, I also, it's also hard because you have to have a, a lot of people 
still need that A-list or name talent involved with, with the project. And how did you navigate that obstacle? Well, we were fortunate enough to where the video game really opened a lot of doors. If we figured if we couldn't afford an A-list talent that we were going to go after the next big thing, and that was try to get some you know, product placement, if you will, something that somebody would care about. And so we tapped into the, to the intellectual property or IP of Lord of the Rings during a time when Lord of the Rings is really hot and still is and, and will be for the next uh, two years at least. And I think a lot of people saw the wisdom in that and said, wow, you guys tapped into something kind of cool and unique. Um, we, we're interested. We want to talk to you. We also did a mashup of, you know, gaming, which is a huge industry, and film. And I think that was another thing that people thought was interesting. If um, you're now out, you mentioned Walmart and some of the other outlets. Um, can, do you have a website where we can direct some of the listeners to check out your movie? Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would love it, love it if they did because, you know, that's really the only way that us independents can have a voice is if people get out and vote, and the only way they vote is to go out and buy your stuff or see it. Uh, riseofthefellowship.com, riseofthefellowship.com. You can see all the many places uh, domestically and internationally where you can see the film, buy the film. Um, so, yeah, any support that people can do, you know, if you do see it, we'd love it if you left a review or a comment or gave us a tweet or something. I'm always looking out for those. So, yeah, I, I definitely am a, an advocate of supporting other filmmakers. And if there's something I can do for any of the listeners out there, any question they might have, uh, they can feel free to to contact me through the website. All my information's there. And that's riseofthefellowship.com? You got it, riseofthefellowship.com. So what's next for you beyond this movie? What are you working on? You know, as a again, as an indie, you you got to see it all the way through to not just distribution. I, I was listening to to one of your podcasts uh, just the other day, and and you're so right when it comes to marketing. Like, just because you get a distributor doesn't mean that your film is suddenly going to get marketed. So, though I have an, a sales agent and a distributor, they're not responsible to fully market the film. So we brought on some marketers to market the film, but I've been really tied up a lot with marketing the film. However, I finally started to, to look beyond this and see, okay, what is next for me? And so I've been working on an epic action-adventure fantasy called The Rangers, of which I'm going to be doing a Kickstarter campaign um, starting March 1st. And we'll see how that goes. You know, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, um, I, I don't know if it's changing or not, but we'll see. I'm going to try to get the initial seed money that way and then see what happens from there. I've also been looking at trying to attach some talent to it as well, so we'll just see how it goes. Okay, well, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more when you get closer. I'd love to hear uh, your crowdfunding strategy, but but for now, um, just to kind of repeat, it's it's riseofthefellowship.com to check out your your current movie. Um, Ron, it's, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for stopping by. No, I, I definitely appreciate it. You know, you you are such a giver of information. Um, you know, like I said, I'm a big fan of yours just, just naturally. So I appreciate everything you do just for the whole community at large. And, um, you know, I, I'm really hopeful that a lot of films are going to be made out there and that, that I'll be able to get out and to support them. So so thanks a lot right back at you for, for what you do. Great. Well, everybody, um, this has been another fantastic filmmaking stuff podcast. I'm Jason Brubaker. We were just talking to Ron Newcomb, 
producer, riseofthefellowship.com. Check it out. Shoot Ron an email. Um, in fact, overwhelm him with questions. I'm sure he'll love that. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, please, please be in touch. And, and Ron, uh, we'll talk again real soon. Absolutely. I'm here, Jason. Anytime you need me, give me a call. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Bye. All right.